It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van Osdale. We are live. It is car con carne done from home for the time being. Welcome to. Life in a pandemic. It's quarantine con carne, sponsored by C and H Financial Services. All the way across the internet, I find comic creator Steve Ellis. Steve, thank you for joining me from your home studio tonight. Hi, how you doing? Uh, good. I feel like I've known you for a long time. Uh, this is my first introduction to you. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, hi, Moon. I, I mean, it, it's funny. This hit me at the right time. I was rediscovering the Western genre in general, and I've always loved horror. So, yeah. nailed it. Uh, this this is your like this is part of your legacy, I think. You'll, oh yeah, you'll, definitely, definitely. Uh, for those who don't know what High Moon is, can you explain what? Can you elevator pitch me? Sure. I mean, uh, the easiest pitch is uh, werewolves in the old west, but uh, yeah. But the, the way <laughs> we usually pitch it is um, uh, one man, one's man's struggle to decide whether to live like a beast or die like a man. There it is. <laughs> there it is. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's all spaghetti western with werewolves. Uh, super inspired by anything with Clint Eastwood and <laughs> all those old, you know, Django movies from the '60s. And stuff. yes, it, it totally caught me at the right time when you released it. And I still love it, and I I, I love that this keeps coming back in various ways as time marches on. Yeah, it, it does for me too. Like a, a few years ago, we actually got to reissue it uh, on its 10th anniversary. We got to reissue it in a bigger package, and that was really nice. Oh, my phone just went off. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's live. It's telling me to be here. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm glad. And you're punctual, no less. You, you were here before I got here. Um, talk to me about life under COVID-19. I mean, I realize your life is kind of solitary in that. You've got your studio set up. You, you, you're, you're kind of built for this, but how are you holding up? Um, you know, it, it's, it's different, uh, because, you know, usually my days are, you know, spent a lot of times, yeah, in, in, in my studio working, but, uh, a couple of things are different. Well, I have two, I have two children, so they're home all day, which uh -huh. makes it hard to focus in my studio. But then on top of that, um, I take a lot of inspiration by going out and kind of sitting in coffee shops and listening to people talk and, you know, kind of just having other people. I used to live in, um, in, in Brooklyn. And uh, part of the, 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 just the sense of all the, that noise, all those people around uh, kind of keeps me going. So I'll, I'll, I go hide myself down in a coffee shop and I sit there and I just kind of do my sketches. And that's the best place for me to think. So it's been harder for me to actually concentrate because I'm used to having all that noise. So it's a weird, uh, it's, a, it's a weird kind of reversal for me. Do you listen to music as you create? I try, it distracts me though. I like music too much. So actually I'll put on the TV. Um, I'll have, I'll have movies or stuff, stuff I've already seen. So I don't have to watch it again playing in the background. Like I was watching Breaking Bad for the umpteenth time today. While I was Which you, you can't go wrong with that. Can we talk a little bit about your Breaking Bad ventures? Oh yeah, actually. Um, yeah, we can. That'd be, that's actually really funny. Uh, so you knew about that. Um, yeah. About, back, uh, well, it was between, I guess it was after season three of Breaking Bad. Um, I got called up by AMC, actually because of High Moon, to do a Breaking Bad, uh, well, it was a comic slash, uh, it, was a, it was an animated comic game right. was the first thing we did. And so we went and we, uh, we did, a, did a whole like game where you played Jesse and you're running around kind of, uh, you know, like 
you try someone stole Jesse's money and you're playing Jesse. So you're going throughout Albuquerque trying to find out who stole your money. So you're doing an investigation. Uh, and then we did, and then like, then we did as a t the same team kind of did a, uh, a, a, a walking dead com comic game, um, which was really cool uh, as well. And then I think the, 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 the coolest parts of that were between season in season five of Breaking Bad, they had a break between the first half and the second half. Right. So we did a comic that actually, I think we're like only 400 were ever produced. Uh, that was a bridge comic between uh, that kind of not bridge, but a, um, a comic that retold the story of the first seasons of mm -hmm. Breaking Bad leading up to the, the, the last finale season. Um, and then when we did, and this was, okay, this was the coolest part. We did a, we did a Better Call Saul comic. Right, the, the prequel. Yeah, and so the Better Call Saul comic took place in the period of time between one of the episodes of Breaking Bad when you first meet Saul. And it's all of the characters working around Walt and Jesse seen from Saul's perspective as opposed to from Walt and Jesse's perspective. So the... The whole episode, Saul is kind of in the TV show. Saul is the is kind of an extra character mm -hmm. in the episode, and it centers on Walt and Jesse. Whereas in ours, it's the reverse, where Saul and Mike, and Mike hadn't even been introduced in the show yet, uh, are investigating who Walt is because he's trying to figure out who this guy who took him out to the desert and threatened his life was. And so, uh, so the the whole the whole the the best part of the comic for me was there's a scene where. Mike finds out who Walt and Jesse are and he calls up uh, Saul and he says, I can get rid of these guys for you if I want, if you want. So there was a moment where Saul could have ended the whole thing. That's fantastic. And, and we wrote that, we wrote that scene. So it's just kind of a really neat, like fun, like, like we wrote that like, I was working with uh, actually one of the writers, Gordon, who ended up writing one of my favorite episodes of Better Call Saul, where Mike kind of tells his history. Oh, that, that is, that's yeah, like, yeah. that should win all the, or should have won all the awards. Oh, it won almost yeah. all of them. But yeah. that, but Gordon, um, I'm forgetting his last name, Smith. I'm not sure. But Gordon and I kind of worked together on that background story. It was really neat to kind of be a part Such of Such great that. characters. It, yeah, As an yeah. artist, I mean, because these characters, especially by the time you know, season five rolled around, they were so familiar and people were so keyed into the show. Is there pressure to make them as authentic as you can? Do you worry like, oh my God, how am I going to draw yeah. Odenkirk? Well, you know, that, that, yeah, that was actually one of the things to try to do was to try to capture, you know, it's, it's, there's one, one way of looking at it where you could try to capture the likenesses through just lots of photographs. Uh, what I tried to do is capture their acting more than their likeness. So I, I kind of, we had to get all the likenesses that I did approved by the actors and their agents. So everyone I did, I did, I did sketches for them, but I changed them a little bit. So it'd be really easy for me to draw over and over again. That makes sense. So they don't really look exactly like them, but they look enough like them. And I think more importantly for me, they acted like them. So like Saul Goodman talks with his hands a lot. So there's a lot of that in the panels where he's doing this kind of thing. And, uh, and Mike just kind of has that deadpan stare. So I just kind of had him doing the deadpan stare thing. It was, it's, it, was really, uh, it was really fun to kind of like, 
I never did that kind of a deep dive in watching the nuances of how people acted before, but that's like what I spent my time doing. <laughs> what a blast. Well, since we're on the topic of Saul and, and Breaking Bad, I'm going to ask two obvious questions. The first being, which do you prefer between the two shows? Wow. You know, I, I haven't seen the most recent season of, of uh, Better Call Saul. I will tell you, it puts everything together and it's, I mean, it is a relentless yeah. season. Like, oh, it, really? it's kind I of a slow burn. It was a yeah. slow burn leading up to the season and now it's just, bam, it's that's everything kind of what you I want. Felt. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. kind of what I felt like. But there were, I think some of the th stuff that, like, if you're going to, if you're going to separate the two, I feel like I like Saul a lot better than I like Walt at this point. Sure. Because <laughs> by season five of, of Breaking Bad, Walt is pretty dark. Yeah, he is and, a villain. Uh, and, and, and then the Saul show is a lot lighter and a little bit more upbeat. And I kind of like that. He's this Well, Odenkirk's like, just all charisma in that role. Yeah, yeah. But his confrontation with his brother was really, that one, that one scene where he kind of destroys his brother with mm -hmm. the cell phone thing is just amazing. Um, Michael but, McKean is so great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the fun part is, is that they're able to do, they're able to make, a, such a, a dramatic thing out of something as small as like two numbers on a contract. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, they, sure. can, they can turn that into like an epic story, you know, which is amazing. So favorite Breaking Bad episode. Oh man. Uh, well, the episode with the fly is one of my favorites. See, that's the only one shot. I didn't like. That's the, the, really? that's, the that's the bottle episode. That's the one that you either love it or hate it because it's all really? shot in one space. Yeah, yeah, I just liked it because I loved the cinematography of it. It reminded me of that's a um, polarizing episode, I think. Is it really? I didn't. Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea. Uh, I think I just like it because I, I love the insanity of it. It's just so over the top. It reminds me of. Have you ever seen Delicatessen? I have not. Oh, it's um, or, or City of Lost Children. They're both French films, and they kind of have a Terry Gilliam kind of a feel. Like uh, and and I feel like the the fly that the episode with the, the fly has that too. Like, very like in each in characters' faces and kind of mm -hmm. zooming in on their expressions and kind of manic camera movement and stuff. It's, it's exciting. See, for me, I mean, obviously the uh, the face off conclusion was one of the most indelible moments in television. Yeah, I had to draw uh, that. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and then it was the last season where. They're, they're all sitting at a table at a Mexican restaurant. Uh, Walt, Skyler, uh, Hank, his wife, and they're all kind of talking in hushed tones. Hank wants to nail Walt for what he's done. Yeah. And the waiter keeps coming to the table and it's the most awkward, uncomfortable, makes you squirm in your seat as you watch it. I forgot the name of the episode, but that scene to me is as standout as anything else in that show, including the- Oh yeah. Uh, the well, end. that one scene, that one scene where, where they, they confront each other in the garage, Hank and Walt. Uh-huh. To me, that's like, oh, this is a, it's like when I realized after all this time, it's a Western. Yes. It's a Western, you know, like just that one shot, you're looking at Hank's hand and you're looking past his hip and you see Walt in the background and Walt just turns. It's like, oh, it's a Western. Uh -huh. It's so cool. It was amazing. Let's, let's jump around uh, your career a little bit more. Sure. Okay. During this downtime, you are leading the Monster Art School. You're, you're turning a negative into a positive. Explain what that is. Yeah. Um, well, well um, you know, my daughter is home and she's been, you know, she likes to draw. And I just kind of realized like within the first couple of days that, you know, kids are going to be home. And um, I just thought it would be, I, I, I teach um, illustration at Syracuse University. 
And uh, I just thought it'd be fun to teach a, a, a how to draw monsters class. So basically we've been doing like, you know, um, a new monster every day, five days a week. Uh, and uh, actually some friends of mine from Chicago are, are uh, will join us pretty much daily. Nice. And, uh, but you know, I'm trying to get as many people as possible because it's like, you know, I'm just doing it Facebook live for free. And, um, you know, cause it's fun. My daughter and I sit and giggle and we laugh and we try to answer questions as we're drawing. And, and usually we draw really, you know, we, we were doing uh, Norse mythology monsters last week and this week we're doing Greek mythology monsters. So we did things like uh, Medusa and Cyclops and I'm not sure what How we're going to do tomorrow. <laughs> so it, is that just from your personal Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. It's just from my Facebook and I've been, I've been putting them up on, um, uh, on uh, YouTube and I'm trying to get like, I'm trying to figure out like, this is cause like, this was all like spur of the moment. I'm going, well, maybe I shouldn't, I, I made a monster art school page and I've put some of them up there. Cause I think people can get them more easily that way. I'm not mm -hmm. really sure. So I'm trying to figure out how to get them to more people. Um, cause I, I know people keep going, Oh, how do I see it? And I'm sending them to my page, but I don't know if they can find me all the time. So. You're not the only Steve Ellis in the world, unfortunately. Well, yeah, that that's true. Uh, but, but it's also, I think, um, you, it's like, if you've reached your friends limit, they have trouble Got it. adding new people or people can't follow you. I'm not sure. So there's some oh. strange thing like that. While we're on the monster tip, let's talk about Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. Did a bunch oh, of yeah. IDW stuff. Oh, yeah, no, I've got kind to of think it's super fun yeah. to draw stuff like that. Oh, it, it is. Uh, for years, I was doing D&D stuff for the games. But I also was doing comics at the same time. So when IDW was doing the comics, I just kind of, you know, they kind of called me up and said, hey, would you like to do some covers? So we were, I was doing covers for those. I did some R.A. Salvatore covers uh, and uh, what is well, just regular AD&D covers. As well. Do you play? Are you a role player? Do you do that stuff? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's actually, um, it's funny because I do. Yeah, I, I, uh, I actually have a weekly Call of Cthulhu game um, that I'm involved in. Um, but it, you know, it's funny cause like for a while I, I was just doing the artwork cause you know, it was a, it was a, it was a, like I was playing games when I was in college and I stopped and then got some jobs doing it and it got me back into it. So it's like this, it's fun. And I totally understand it like in, on the player level cause I've played, I've run games and, and then to do the art is really fun too. It's like a, a whole, you know, experience. So I'll write games as well and things like that. That's awesome. Um, on the, on the other side of the fantastical, drawing things that are just whatever your mind can conjure up, working on the Green Lantern Corps. That's got to be, if you're a superhero fan growing <laughs> up, that, I mean, that's, that's a world you kind of want to inhabit as an artist. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, basically um, anyone lets me go crazy with creatures or monsters, they're going to get what they want. Because, like, <laughs> that's... Uh, so, like, you know, working on the Green... The thing about the Green Lantern Corps, when I was doing that, we I got to work with... Uh, a character uh, of Guy Gardner. Um, well, it was, it was all the three main old Green Lanterns. It was Guy Gardner, Hal Jordan, and um, uh, John Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't remember his name. And he, I always get him mixed up with the co the host. Uh, so I want to give him a different name. <laughs> it's very similar, um, yeah. But the, well, just the name. Uh, <laughs> but, but so they, the, uh, the it was fun because we were playing with those characters and their personalities. And I get really into, uh, kind of trying to figure out how people act 
And uh, so when I'm drawing, I try to actually get them to act like, you know, like people. So drawing Guy is very different from drawing Hal or drawing John. You know, one is, one is very rash and kind of, you know, uh, devil, not devil make hair, but very angry. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is very stoic and kind of cold. And then there's the other one who's kind of a little bit more human than either of them. And it's kind of a nice to have the three kind of working against each other. What fun. Uh, yeah. Let's let's jump to something that is a little more personal, a little more sure. independent. Uh, the Only Living Boy. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. The Only Living Boy. That's like actually, it's a, gr- it's, it's a really fun project. So uh, after I did High Moon um, many moons ago, uh, David and I, the writer of High Moon, and I got together and we did The Only Living Boy. And now we're doing The Only Living Girl. Um, and The Only Living Boy is basically the story of a, a, a 12-year-old boy who runs away from home and uh, wakes up in a like a fantasy world with monsters, dragons, demons, basically anything I can get my hands on to draw. Um, <laughs> but there's, but it, it, it's got it's it's a it's 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 a kind of an action adventure, but it has kind of a darker understory as well, because um, it's it, it's basically for when I was the one of the main reasons we did it is my son was around. I want to say he was like seven or eight. And I was took him to the comic book store and I wanted to get him some comics. It was really hard to find him comics that were adventure comics that weren't too adult. Sure. And then the, the, at the time, yeah. Uh, yeah, and at the time there wasn't this, like now there's a lot more stuff for kids his age or what would have been his age. He's now 17, so it's a little different. But, um, you know, when, uh, when we started that project, there was just nothing out there for that audience. So we did this project for that. We were, you know, basically thinking, you know, when I was 10 years old and I wanted to read superheroes, there was a whole bunch of stuff that I could read that was adventure sure. stuff. And, you know, but, they're, but they kind of got aged up a lot. Or if they were, for kids, they were way too young. You know, I, I went through the same thing. My, my son's yeah. 18 now. So same, oh, yeah, so same exact so thing. So, yeah, we so go to the shop, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, you can't read Batman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, then if you got them, the kids, Batman, it was like really, really kids Yeah, and not exciting and not interesting and not fun. So it was a really hard uh, place to be. So basically I did that. And then um, since then out of that story came a whole secondary story called the only living girl. And, uh, and it kind of grew organically out of the end of the first series. So we, uh, we were originally going to call. We were originally going to make it just only living boy two, but we decided that rather than do that, shift the focus to one of the other characters in the story, so that she can take over, tell the story, the you know, tell the same story, but from now from a different character's point of view, and continue the story after after we leave Eric from the first story. Um, so having your fun. having your own independent project there, and having worked on the other side for the majors, whether it's you know, Green Lantern or Crimson Dynamo or whatever, you've seen the highs and lows, and now you see where the industry is at during the pandemic. What, 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 what's next for your local comic shop? What's next for yeah. comic companies or independent creators? What, what, what's the vibe? What are you feeling? You know, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's been, really, it's been a really weird time. I know my local comic stores haven't, you know, they're having trouble. Some of, them, some of the stores are doing curbside deliveries. Yeah. Uh, there's been trouble. The one major distributor of comics basically shut down its warehouse. So a lot of the uh, companies haven't had a way of getting books to stores. So even if they were open, they wouldn't be able to sell anything. So 
I know DC Comics and I think a few smaller publishers are um, starting a workaround distribution through a different distributor. So I think DC Comics are now coming in weekly again. But I don't know whether, I think it's a limited version of their line. What um, a weird time. It is. I mean, I think, I think you know, I'll, I honestly, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard because I really like, I mean, I, I've worked on the web comics. You know, High Moon started out as a web comic. Even Only Living Boy was a web comic originally. Um, and I always saw the web as a way of kind of getting out the word and then you sell the book later on. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that might that might be the model now. Instead, like instead of stores selling the individual copies, we may just be waiting for books at stores, and the stores will have to. You know, I'm not sure. You know, uh, we may have to wait a few months or years. Who knows how long this is going to last, right? Right. Uh, so, so I, I creatively, I'm trying to figure out ways of putting out my work on, on online because it's the only way to get it out, right? Uh, where it's reliably getting out. Um, and even that's been really hard because, you know, uh, just trying to get the platforms and figure out the technologies, what platform you're going to use, and then wait for the platforms to be ready or whatever. Yeah. So it's 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 been it's been a juggle. Uh, I do I really, you know, I just don't know if we're going to have the same industry when this is done. Um, I don't think comics are going anywhere, but the system that we had in place may may be changing dramatically. But I don't know. That may be happening to books, to everything. Right. I think it is. I mean, it's happening to music. It's. Hap- I mean. Yeah. It's impossible to prognosticate, and all you can say is, "Well, I know it'll be different." Yeah. I mean. I mean. Like I know. I just saw a thing the other day about them shooting the next season of The Mandalorian, and they're doing it all with independent, like, like it looks like it was like actors in different places, not being in the same room with each other, and they're wow. filming it like that with like digital backgrounds and everything. I, I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it is really crazy. So, I mean, to some degree, a lot of the work I do, like I did uh, on top of High Moon and Only Living Boy, we did a project called Box 13. And uh, that was uh, um, David and I. And that was a uh, basically built for the iPhone comic. So it was readable. It was made for the size and shape of the iPhone. Um, and so I've been working in the digital space for a long time. Like that was back in... Almost, High Moon was 2000, what, five, six? Seems and, like forever uh, ago, but yes. Yeah, yeah, or 2007, 2007. And then Box 13 was like 2008. And, uh, and so like I've been working in that space, in the digital space for a while, uh, but I do, I like physical books. So, um, you know, uh, way back when we first started doing that, there was a lot of pushback from stores saying, oh, we're not gonna be able to sell your books. You know, so there was kind of a animosity between the two. Yeah. And um, what, what, what we found was that, at least in my experience, is people were interested in the books as like an artifact. So if they really liked it, they bought the book. Yep. So it wasn't that they were going to, that everyone was going to buy the book, but that the people who bought the book would buy it and probably spend a little extra on a specialty edition. See, and, this is why I know, think the comics industry... This what? is why I think the comics industry is so similar to music. I mean, what you mm-hmm. just said, if you had substituted the word vinyl for book, same right. thing. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think that's really true. I mean, I think, you know, the edition of High Moon that you have, we just put out one a year ago that's like twice the size. It's actually at the size it was supposed to be. Right. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and, it, and you can see all the details and everything, and it looks great. 
Um, and, but it's, it's like, a, you know, when I go to shows and we try to sell them, they, I can't hold on to them at a convention. But that's because I'm signing them and it might be because it's an artifact of that event. So that's why I don't know how good it would be for stores, but it might be good for signings. I, you know, I'm not sure how that would work for a regular store. Like vinyl stores, they're not everywhere uh, because it's a niche market. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, that sure. might be what we're, it might end up being more of a niche market than it already is. I don't know. It is interesting. I, I have reverse thinking when it comes to books and comics slash graphic novels. I love reading books digitally actual text yeah. books. I Kindle all the way. When it comes to comics, yeah, I, I have the apps. I've read them all online. At the end of the day, I do like having, I, I like reading them physically as opposed yeah. to online or on a tablet or whatever. But I think if you if you read one that you were like, oh, that's okay, you'd read it. No, I don't need to buy it, right? Mm-hmm. But then the one you really like, you'd be like, oh, well, I have to have that. I have to have it. I'll spend a little extra to get that extra yep. special edition, right? For sure. I think so that to me, that's the that I think is the the avenue towards having the project still work uh, for the creators. But I think it cuts out the middleman in a lot of ways. Um, You're right, you know, it, and I don't know how that's going to work with regular stores and stuff like that. Uh, I want to thank a few people who've been watching on Facebook as we've been recording. I want to thank Katie and Jessica and Mike, Pat, Izzy, John, Michael, Christina, Tim, Shannon, Patricia. Jenny, Carol, Carol from the Huntsman. This is a local, locally based metal band, uh, the Huntsman. Oh, wow. Double vinyl release for their most recent concept album that includes a 27-page graphic novel that ties oh, into wow. the album. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. That is really cool. Band. Uh, I, did some, Michael, I did some comics for, uh, uh, well, it wasn't a heavy metal um, title. I did a, what was it? I'm trying to remember the, um, the name of the company, Waxworks Records. Is that right? Anyway, we did, a, we did this crazy thing about these... Uh, the, this band that uh, a heavy metal band, or a, I guess, yeah, heavy metal band that used that that uses this Icelandic magic to make um, to, <laughs> to make themselves like super popular. Then the magic is actually a real Icelandic thing where they make you make pants out of someone else and you wear them. Yeah, it's really creepy, but it's apparently a real Icelandic uh, magical spell. Yeah, it's very uh, Ed Gein. Yeah, it's really creepy. But the, apparently the, the 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 story was very cartoony, but the but it was really but it was really fun. It was like a really dark metal kind of, you know, heavy metal guys. It was really fun. So the fate of the industry aside, yeah. What what's next for you, Steve? Well, um, I'm working on the only living girl. And uh, you know, it's from I've been doing a lot of freelance projects, which are just kind of projects for other people. Uh, but I've I've always got new things popping in my head, and I have a project with with David Gallagher that I can't talk too much about, but it's going to involve a podcast and a comic kind of combined uh, and, and a game as well. So I'm doing things like that. Um, I just did a deck of cards through Kickstarter, which was a deck of monster family cards. Um, they're like, uh, uh, they're, it's called the Thornclaw Manor Monster Family Card Deck. And they're just basically creepy monsters wearing suits and, and dresses and they live Fantastic. in high society in the Victorian era. Uh, and they're really fun. It, it, they're just like fun. It started off as just weird little portraits and, and then it's become stories. And so I'm working on a, on a book for that um, to cont- and, and the, the card decks. And then just kind of uh, trying to keep up, you know, with uh, freelance work um, and then seeing what the next big thing is coming out. Um, 
Are you one of those creators who's basically in his studio or in front of a sketchbook or computer 12 hours a day? 12 hours? 18 hours, maybe? There you go. <laughs> basically, yeah, it's hard. It, it, it's actually, if I was left to my own devices, I would never leave that headspace. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but fortunately, I have a wife and children that keep me human and fed uh -huh. and like, you know, acting like a human being. But yeah, no, I would, if I had, uh, if I was left to my own devices, I would just be in the studio and sleep on the floor in my studio and just work. That, uh, that's the image I have. Yep. <laughs> all right. I want to uh, wrap up the Facebook live. Thank you all for watching. If you're on Facebook live, I'm going to kill that stream. And Steve, thank you. This was great. Yeah, this was really a lot of fun, James.